Hello, I'm Sharon Hollis. I'm the President of the Uniting Church in Australia Assembly. Welcome to my podcast, Dwelling. I'm really hoping that with this podcast, I can bring to you some of the rich, deep conversations I get to have as President of the Uniting Church. Welcome to the, my um, podcast. I'm Sharon Hollis. I'm the president of the Uniting Church in Australia, and I'm joined today by Heather Watson. And we're going to talk about uh, all things governance and uh, compliance and why they matter to the church uh, as part of our Act 2 podcast series. I'm recording this on the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present and to their descendants. Heather, welcome to my podcast, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Sharon. Great to catch up with you again. Heather, perhaps if we just um, start uh, with just briefly what your your current job is, and then we'll talk about your history in the Uniting Church. So what do you do for a day job? Sure. Um, I probably do several things, but fundamentally, I've got a legal background, so I'm I'm still a practising lawyer. But uh, the joy that I get um, most days uh, at the moment is uh, that I get to sit on uh, boards um, so and boards that uh, sit both across the Uniting Church, uh, which of course I love, uh, but also in other um, public sector and charitable boards. Um, so a great opportunity to see the community um, at large um, and uh, in many places uh, across Australia. Thanks, Heather. So I thought we might start now we've got your credentials, you're well credentialed for this. Um, just tell me a bit about your journey in the Uniting Church. How do you come to be involved in the Uniting Church? Sure. I sometimes describe myself as a child of the Uniting Church because uh, I still I remember uh, uh, being at uh, a participant at the time of union, uh, albeit uh, that it, uh, it was I was a young teenager at that time. Uh, so my family were uh, well um, in, involved in the Methodist Church um, in North Queensland. So um, I was born in Cairns, uh, but spent most of my um, growing up life uh, in Townsville. Uh, and so um, interestingly, in terms of the uh, uh, my experience of the Uniting Church, uh, I remember that our congregation um, that we were actively involved in uh, was one of the few congregations or certainly the only congregation that united uh, in the Townsville community at the time. Uh, but importantly, we agreed to um, enter into a cooperative arrangement with our local Presbyterian church. And so it was actually quite a journey. Uh, so it wasn't just something that happened on a day, but something that had been prepared for and planned for at a local level uh, for several years leading up to what was to become a um, a celebration day and so I still have a famous uh, photo of myself and a friend uh, with our faces painted in the Uniting Church uh, <laughs> symbol um, so it still does its rounds uh, occasionally mm -hmm. and that when we had our Uniting Church symbol t-shirts on so that's my kind of abiding memory of that but I guess as the, as the baseline it, it also then provided um, an opportunities for me to um, be both uh, a participant and also um, a lay leader um, in various capacities um, at local um, presbytery, um, synod and assembly um, levels. And uh, uh, again, that has been a part of my lifelong journey for some of those roles to be um, in parallel with my day job. Um, and then more recently, it's become part of my day job. Uh, so exciting. 
Great. And um, as you think about back over that journey, what are the things about the Uniting Church that um, give you joy? Yeah, well, and, and it's probably a good segue into our governance conversation yep. that we'll have shortly, because I guess for me, um, one of the joys of the Uniting Church has been our approach to uh, participation and leadership. Um, and I often describe um, the way in which we're structured in that regard as being a, a gift, not only to the church, but also to the broader community. Um, because as I kind of continue to reflect back on uh, many parts of the basis of union and then our manual for meetings, which is kind of the, the, uh, the rule book about how we meet together. Mm. Um, there are, you know, quite significant um, uh, elements of that which were, were ahead of its time in terms of the rest of the community. So, you know, currently we often talk about the idea of collaborative leadership uh, being something that we all should aspire to. Well, in fact, that's the Uniting Church from its in inception. Yeah. And uh, whilst we um, often um, talk about our inter, uh, interrelated councils as being challenging, um, actually when they work well, um, they are a genuine gift. Mm. Um, and so it's that sort of that uh, shared leadership, uh, which I think um, if we continue to wrestle with it, it actually um, provides us with great insights and it is genuinely how we discern uh, God's will for yeah. us um, in the various um, things that, that we do. Um, but I think the other thing for, for me is also the recognition of the, the, uh, the breadth of skills um, and experience that um, we embrace as the Uniting Church. And, and I've certainly been a recipient of that in the opportunity as, as a young person uh, to participate um, in various ways um, in leadership. Um, as a female, I mean, we were, we were, we had uh, targets around our gender participation yep. well before that was a conversation in the broader community. Um, and of course, our commitment to uh, cultural diversity, both in terms of our relationship with and our desire to be in leadership with First Peoples, um, as well as our broader um, cultural uh, commitments as well. And so the way in which that um, has been really woven into our DNA, I think continues to serve us well. And where we live that out well, um, we actually, I think, provide a, a bit of a beacon on the hill for the rest of our communities. Uh, that's a, I love that insight that just the way we do things could be a witness to the gospel. Um, I think that's a really wise um, thing to note. So if we think about how we do things, then um, you've pointed to the fact that how we do things can be a source of deep joy, even though we know it frustrates people from time to time. And thinking about um, the work you do both in your own governance practice and in supporting other people to exercise good governance, why do you think having good oversight and good governance matters to the life of the church? Yeah. I think um, fundamentally it it's provides us the basis to be uh, able to uh, exercise our mission to the fullest and widest extent. And where we've had um, examples in the past, and we have had them, where we haven't lived up to uh, the community's expectations mm. of us in the way we go about things, then inevitably our mission has been diminished as a result. And so for me, getting the fundamentals right about um, being the best that we can be in the way that we 
we exercise our roles, our responsibilities, our accountabilities to the community at large actually is the enabler of us to be able to um, live out our, our faith and our mission to the maximum that God calls us to do so. So if you're a, if someone listening to this is a member of a local congregation, what do you think are the fundamentals they need to pay attention to? Um, so I, I think it is understanding what the, the, the rules of the, of the community are. And um, it's not just about rules for the sake of rules, but it's rules reflecting what the community expects of us um, and of each other. And I guess if we take as a first principle that we're called to love God and love each other, um, then it's a way of us exercising our love for each other that we understand that we have a place within our communities um, and that we need to honour um, the, the way in which we exercise that stewardship responsibility, um, if you like. Um, so for me, the first, um, the first responsibility really is about care for each other. Mm. Now that exercises itself around... Um, those that, uh, that, that join us to participate in whatever um, aspect of, of uh, the church's activities, whether it be in community service, whether it be in local congregation. So we want to make sure it's a safe place. Um, so it's safe in the physical environment within which we operate, um, but safe in terms of um, the, the, uh, the ability for people to be their full selves and to uh, to be able to um, engage with us to their fullest extent. So, um, you know, when we talk about our safe church obligations, I always see it in that light, um, yeah. that it's actually a fundamental um, and, and, and demonstrates that we've learnt lessons from the past where we perhaps um, ha haven't um, uh, uh, exercised that to the fullest extent. At a local level, it even means just having safe buildings, um, and uh, so that, you know, we, uh, whether it's adults or young children, we know that they're going to be safe when they come onto our premises. So the importance of, our, of those that have responsibilities about care for our buildings is as important as those that are, you know, caring for our, our welfare um, as well. Mm. But, but beyond um, that, um, that, that kind of care for each other also extends to those that we employ to assist us. So mm. making sure that we're a good employer um, and whether that's um, administrative assistance on a local basis or whether it's to the size and scale of some of our agencies, um, making sure that um, we are um, enabling people to, you know, come to work in a safe environment um, and to fulfil their, uh, their vocational um, uh, duties and, and expectations in a way um, that enables them to again bring their full selves um, in, that, in that environment as well. And I guess the, the other area that I then reflect on is um, our accountability um, to the community as a whole. And um, you know, one of the roles that I have at the moment is that I sit on the Charities um, Commission Advisory Board. And we often are talking about um, all of uh, much good work occurs in our communities, not only by church organisations, but others. Um, but ultimately, um, there, there is a public accountability uh, for what we do. Um, now, we may be very clear about why we go about doing what we do. Um, mm. And that's the uniqueness of us being the church and, in fact, the uniting church. Um, but, um, but understanding that... Um, the, the privilege we get in some of the ways in which we get to undertake those activities um, means that we should also 
um, be, um, be clear about those accountabilities as well. Mm. So that goes to um, things like um, um, being aware of uh, the communities within which we operate, where there's um, vulnerable parts of those communities that we need to pay particular attention to. Um, and, uh, and, and again, I see that through the lens of that just enables us to exercise our mission to the fullest extent. It's interesting because as we've done consultation, in fact, too, one of the things we hear a lot is how onerous a lot of compliance is, and I don't want to undermine that. But when I listen to you, I also hear if we reframed some of that, we would approach it in such a different way if we saw our compliance not as a form to fill out, but as an opportunity to demonstrate to our community that we care for them, we value them, we honour them by being safe. We might it might feel, it would still take time to fill out, but it might feel different. Yes. Um, I, think, I think, though, that doesn't um, uh, negate the role that we have in continuing to reorganise ourselves totally. in a way um, that enables um, uh, everyone to be um, freed up, if you like, to focus on mission, but to do that in a safe way. So mm -hmm. if that means that um, the way that we have traditionally organised ourselves is placing... Um, disproportionate burden on some some individuals um, that is actually getting in the way of being able to be freed up then we need to take account of that and to change the way in which we operate and so much of what we're doing um, through the assembly and as you say through act two mm. um, each of the synods I know are really paying attention to uh, the form that we take in order to both pay attention to our responsibilities but also to to free us up to do what we're called to do. Mm. And um, as you think about the Uniting Church and we, we are having like the whole purpose of Act 2 is to say what do we need to do in order that communities might flourish and for us that's local congregations it's the communities of that you encounter all the time in your work on Uniting Care both the employee, the communities we create for employees, but the communities we create for the people that um, Uniting serves, schools and so on. Um, as we think about how we, we look after those communities through governance, um, if you had a magic wand and could change anything about the Uniting Church and the way it structures its life, what would you do? That's a big call, uh, Sharon. <laughs> um, look, I, I think it's... Um, uh, reminding us about what, what our purpose is as the starting point. So when we're clear about what our purpose is, then the other, the other parts, whether it be organising ourselves, um, arranging our governance, the structures that we put in place, have to be enabling that to occur um, and not, uh, not the other way around. Um, mm. And so often we get caught up, uh, we're no different to many institutions that the form and the structure um, at points in time um, take over from, you know, the reason that they were set up mm. in the first place. And so I guess I, I continue to take heart with um, the basis of union references to, you know, us being pilgrims on a journey and actually challenging us to continue to, to reshape and to reorganise, um, you know, for, for mission. So I, I think that's my starting point. The other, I think, is um, just to always be mindful where custom and practice has become much more of a rule. Mm. Um, and, we, and, and even, for example, we get bound up by buildings and property 
um, that have that have been a gift from previous generations, but we hold on so tightly to them um, without necessarily thinking about what our own contribution and what our own legacy is going to be in the way in which we might contribute in our current generations. And so in a number of the roles, um, you know, I'm involved in the challenging um, conversations about how do we, um, you know, take the um, those those very generous gifts from the past, but actually repurpose them mm. to what we need at the moment. And so, in some respects, if we have the opportunity to do some, um, you know, planning from a blank page, what would we do? Yeah. And often we find that what we aspire to do doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the building we've traditionally connected with, um, you know, is is necessary. Um, for that but perhaps it's another resource and so I think it's that challenge about not not being feeling like we have to hold on tightly to the resources in the form that we have had them in the past in order for them to be supporting us in the way that we want to do in the future mm -hmm. and, I, and I do think the opportunity for communities um, that are connecting or and and see themselves as part of uniting church don't necessarily need walls and roofs um, no and they connect and and they happen you know naturally in some other forms um although we don't necessarily see them as being part of our formal structures unless they're within the bounds of a building mm. and um as you think about uh, i mean one of the things we're talking about is being sustainable and and um and probably a little bit less complex um, and you talked so beautifully about some of the gifts of the Uniting Church that you had. What do you think, like if we got to the end of it and, and we looked back, what would be the things you hope we hadn't given up in, in that journey? <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, um, and I guess I'd just draw on my own experience about what's made such a difference for me at various points in my journey, and, and that is the preparedness of other people to um, put aside their own interests um, to give me an opportunity. So in, in, at various times in, in the kind of leadership journey, um, I've had some very faithful, um, you know, servants and leaders within my local context who would uh, dearly have loved to be another, attend another synod or another <laughs> assembly um, uh, uh, in addition to the many that they had, but were prepared to step back um, and allow uh, me to have an opportunity to step up and mm -hmm. and I continued to wrestle with those and you know there were several in my people in my mind that I kind of regard as my saints if you like yeah. of, of influence um, but but it's left an impression on me and uh, a feeling of responsibility to do what I can in order to identify where there's um, you know, interest in in others, younger others. Mm. <laughs> now that I'm uh, I'm a little older than uh, than than younger, um, but but really to be trying to provide those pathways. So I, I would hope that again we see that commitment to leadership development yep. as being really key um, yep. uh, for us, uh, regardless of the the path that we're on. Um, and, and I think, again, that the recognition that's fundamental to the church around leadership comes um, notwithstanding age or gender or cultural background. Um, and in fact, we need all of those contributing um, to, to be the church that we're called to be. Mm. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. I think that's such a good insight that we, we, we do need to keep developing 
<laughs> leaders and being confident that that the spirit will provide us people to to take on leadership. Um, I just thought, Heather, I might finish by asking you a little bit about your work at Uniting because I'm sure you're aware of you hear this too that sometimes um, th there's sometimes a gap between what people in the in congregations know about Uniting, Uniting Care, Uniting the various names it has in whatever form we have across yes, the country. Right. <laughs> um, and I just thought I'd be interested in. Um, how for you uniting your work with uniting represents your 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 discipleship and your faith and and what you think uniting gives to the to the life of the whole uniting church yeah so i guess maybe just to um, spend a little time about my own personal journey in a professional sense and why that's driven me to where i am at the moment so um, you know i had a um, i've had lots of interesting experiences in a legal context um, both in, in a um, regional context. So you spent many years uh, in North Queensland um, and then um, uh, now about 15 years in, in Brisbane um, in sort of legal roles. But when I, many of the individuals and families that I worked with um, in the first couple of decades, it was often in family law kind of or succession mm -hmm. uh, disputes and difficulties. And so part of my role was helping to solve fundamentally a legal problem but of course along the way you understand that um, human nature being what it is um, that uh, there are so many other things that need to be solved beyond just the legal and mm -hmm. so I got to the point where you know my ability to contribute my best legal skills to a situation was only going to go so far and so I um, and, and at the same time of course uh, able to exercise leadership at a local level with um, you know some of our community service agencies which were still very localized at that point provided some you know input to be able to to you know meet the gap um, but that sort of really sparked um, a desire to contribute to those organizations um, at an even greater level beyond just my legal skills because mm -hmm. I could see the value um, that that uh, organizations were providing to meet those gaps in in meeting um, the needs of people with where they're at so that led to sort of another kind of 10 years or so um, uh, very uh, generous years and being able to work alongside organizations in both a legal and governance sense um, as well but but again um, that came to a point where I kind of that sense of frustration that um, even organisations have to work within systems and systems have um, uh, political influences um, and other external influences that limit what they can and can't do. Yeah. And so, again, how do we best serve um, uh, the, um, those that most need it uh, actually requires a systems change. So, uh, so, again, that led then to stepping into more of the governance roles where, you know, we can be of influence. So that sort of has been my my personal and professional yeah. journey um, as part of sort of living out what I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it's also a journey of the church. So, um, you know, I think as an institution, um, that the positive side of being an institution is that not only do we support people in local contexts um, to, you know, live out their faith in a worship um, and witness sense, um, but um, in in responding to needs within the community more broadly, we're called not just to meet the physical needs of people, 
but um, their emotional as well as their spiritual needs. And so that ability to respond holistically um, mm. leads us, I think, to uh, or has led us to the what has now very substantial service delivery capacity. But it's not for the sake of itself, um, you know, and, and uh, whilst our journeys in various parts around the country, um, you know, continues to be a path that we journey, um, and it is about continuing to ask ourselves, well, why are we doing this as yeah. a church and why is this important? Um, and, and for me, the why it's important is giving, being in a position to have the experience of responding um, to people's needs in, in the various forms that, that um, in health in, in, um, and community need, um, but also to do it, to be able to then have the insights to then uh, influence those that um, develop and, and put the policies in place that actually often are the drivers for for us not being able to solve what appears to be the insolvable. So, um, you know, it gives us the ability to be a strong advocate yes. um, uh, for those things that we choose to be a priority um, because they are holding people back from living flourishing mm -hmm. lives, um, as well as then being able to design responses that, again, are holistic to people and aren't just responding to one issue at a time. So that's a, a long and complicated oh. answer, but I think the ongoing challenge for us is, is to, you know, um, continue to evaluate and reflect on, um, on the why of what we are doing um, and providing we can um, uh, continue to see that missional response in what we're doing, um, then, then I think that's, that is a legitimate part of what the, um, the Uniting Church is. And then I guess the related and almost incidental way is that we also get the opportunity to engage with a very significant workforce that's helping yes. us to do it. And I, I just continue to get amazed when I talk to people about, well, why did you join Uniting? Um, and, and it is about that people, they may not identify as a member of the Uniting Church, um, but they absolutely identify with the call and the mission and are very happy and, in fact, are the most vocal advocates of the work of the church. <laughs> so I just kind of sit back and, and recognise that um, God has a very uh, large plan uh, involved and it isn't necessarily within the structures that we, yes. <laughs> we organise ourselves. And so I'm happy to just facilitate and let that happen. And, and you see people's lives changed as a result. So I, I think our mission is as much about the people that work with us as those that we you know, work for and support in the broader community. Yeah, I found that even working in the Synod where people would come and work for the Synod, um, you know, with not a strong faith background, but they really came to identify with the work of the Uniting Church and, and um, some of them even found faith. Um, Absolutely. By working for us, um, sometimes Christian faith. Um, I also knew people that were able to re-embrace, um, you know, their Judaism or their... Yep. Islamic faith and I think that's such a, you're right that's another contribution that um, our, our the, those parts of the church that employ people make to the lives of people it's both the programs they deliver but the impact we have yeah. on their life as well so mm. um, I, um, Heather I want to say thank you for this conversation I, I found it so enriching I think um, I really value your deep sense that um, how we do things is a witness to who we are and that when we know who we are we know, then know how to do things and when that's working well they feed each other and nourish each other so um, 
I'm grateful both for the work you do do um, in that space of um, tending carefully to how a range of institutions govern their life, both Uniting Church institutions, but the other ones that you, you're you on a board of. I think that's a, such a fabulous um, way to express your discipleship, and I think you do it with such care. And I've been really grateful for the careful conversation you've had today. It's, it's been really insightful, just that sense that um, who we are and how we do it is is the is a great witness to what we believe and why we want to do things. And I think that's been such a helpful uh, contribution to the to thinking about Act Two. So thank you very much for coming today, Heather. Thanks, Sharon. Good to talk with you again.